When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears, and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over-18s only, as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Raw, the fight within. This week, I'm very delighted to be joined by a bit of a random guest, I'd say you are. Cool, I ain't gonna lie, mate. You don't understand how scared I was when you asked me to do this. Because I wanted to do it, because you know I'm a fan of IFL. But I was thinking, the moment you put this out there, the initial comments gonna be, what's that mug doing on a IFL? That's <laughs> like, no! <laughs> well, listen, people that know about boxing will know kind of, yes, you are kind of, you're in a different kind of world, but we'll talk about this as well that your kind of life has been embroiled in boxing, which we will come on to. But uh, Jordan Banjo, thank you very much for um, coming on Raw uh, Podcast. Like I said, I think you're probably the most random person we've had on there, but it's not random to me, so it's fine. Let's do it. Let's do it. it. Let's do it. Right, so I'm going to ease you in kind of a little bit gently into this. What, What were your kind of first ever memories of boxing period? What were they? First memories of boxing, obviously through my dad, Dad was a pro fighter, and I think it was right because when you're a little kid, like there'll be a lot of little kids now who probably ain't, ain't into boxing, but they'll know the name Anthony Joshua, they'll know the name Tyson Fury. Do you know what I mean they'll know, they'll know the names if they're not into the sport, right? So growing up, obviously, I, I, you know Mike Tyson is, you know Muhammad Ali is, all these people. But my first memory was going to visit my uncle. I think he, I think he lived in like Cambridge at the time or something like that, and my dad was driving me there, and it was. I think it was when it was Nazim fought Barrera and he lost, right? 
my dad's in the car, but he's waffling to my mum, like, I can't believe it's eating last I'm going to watch it when I get here, I'm going to watch it when we get to Tosin's, right? So they got there, my uncle bangs in the tape, and they're talking about it, and oh, he hasn't even done the front flip into the ring, you can tell something's off, you know, like all, all, the, all the chat. And I remember them watching the fights going in and out, and the reason it sticks with me so much, because I must have been what, when was that, like 2001, 2002, something like that, I was about nine, eight or nine years old. The reason I remember it so clear is because after they took that tape out, my uncle starts banging in tapes. And I'm like, who's this, who's this six foot five massive black dude with a six pack? I was like, hang on, that's my dad. And I'm watching these fights with my dad like fighting. I just couldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and like my uncle had all, from like when my dad had his amateur fights all the way through all, all of his pro fights as well. He had, he had everything. So they were watching fights back. And it was, that's my first proper memory of boxing is seeing my dad fight people being like, geez. Nuts. Do you remember the first like ever fight you went to? I don't. I was I was young. I'm not sure what it was. And recently, I would say since I've been about since I've been an adult, I only started going actually going to fights past past couple of years mm. purely because I've been working with diversity since I was 16. And every fight day, a fight I want to go to without fail, it fall it falls on. Like, I used to go to like. Quite a few white qualities like the circus tavern and stuff like that. Because we all we all did. We all did. Living around here, we all did. Yeah. But like big events, only the last couple of years, really. Mm. It's it's interesting because obviously I'm a bit older than you, and we'll talk about our connection from when we were younger as well uh, later on. But um, I don't remember my first fight. I generally don't. I don't remember. I I assume it would have been a professional fight, but I don't remember like as a fan. I've been in IFL for like twelve years, but I don't actually remember the first ever time I went to watch some sort of boxing that weren't like a scrap in the, do you know what I mean, yeah. on the school yeah. field or a, a car park or whatever. When you say about IFL, right, that I remember when IFL wasn't strictly boxing. Yeah. yeah. And I remember being in Sugar Hut one night and you interviewed my brother and I was yeah. standing behind like, so mad, I should get interviewed in the middle of Sugar Hut, it's so funny man. It was in the gentleman's room that yeah, Mickey yeah. Norcross used to have there and used to get people in there because we started a little thing, people don't, I don't know, some people might realise, called Sugar Hut TV. Uh, to kind of maybe collab the two together, but keep yeah, yeah. like boxing on one and, and do this kind of celebrity stuff on the other. But he yeah, used to go into like Mick Norcross, people would know that gentleman's room that was at the Sugar Hut. And then, yeah, your brother there, I've interviewed Danny Dyer there, Tamar there. Anyone who used to come there, we used to like, before they started getting on a, a drinking session, used to yeah, go and interview yeah, them beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was mad. Um, but for you, like, Again, we'll talk about your dad as we, as we go on, but what fighter for you when you were growing up as a, as a kid kind of make, not make you take notes of boxing because obviously your dad had impact in that, but for yourself, who were you a fan of uh, growing up? Naz. Naz. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, he was such a showman, right? And I used to be, remember he had them, he had like them leopard print shorts with the Adidas sort of and stuff. I just thought his whole style was so, so sick. And I would, I would say again, it wasn't until I was an adult that I massively got into the sport as a big fan. I would say I'm part of that sort of 2012 winning gold, GB, AJ, that kind of wave. So I would say like the last 10 or so years is when I've been like a big fan of the sport myself. But growing up, it was like the massive names, do you know what I mean? Like Naz and stuff like that sort of really drew me in. Yeah, I mean, I'll say it probably every time I'm, I'm doing these podcasts, I say Naz was the first ever person that I used to... Not yeah, he's the reason why I started watching boxing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like obviously I knew of other fighters at the time. Yeah, Frank Bruno's obviously mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. 
relevant at the time being from here, but Naz was the one that I'd stay up for. Naz was the one that I'd clip out all the, the paper cuttings in the morning because that's what you used to do, used to exactly. wait for the paper to read about it. <laughs> it's mad, there weren't it? none of this no, back I then. Back there, no, I fell back <laughs> then. Um, right, this next question, I'm going to kind of adapt it to you. I usually ask people if they weren't in the business of boxing, um, what would they be doing? But what I'll flip it to you is I'll say, um, have you ever kind of considered being involved in boxing just through the connection with your dad at all? Or was your path already done from when you were 16? In terms of now I consider being in boxing, but in more your capacity, just because I love being around the events, being around the fires and stuff like that. In terms of actually fighting, from when I, like I said, about eight or nine, saw my dad was a fighter, I was like, dad, I want to learn to box. He would not have it. Would not have it in the slightest. Like, would let, me and my brother, we did karate, jiu-jitsu, judo. We did so many martial arts growing up. I did that all the way till I was like about 18. And then in terms of boxing, if I wanted to go to a boxing club, my dad wouldn't have it. So we used to train with him at home. But I think he was sort of maybe of the thing that if I went there and you, know, you kind of get the bug and you want to carry on and you want to do this and you want to do that and you want to pursue it, it's, it's a hard graft, isn't it? I think that's why I love boxing so much. Because it's, there's, it's, between like, you've got people like Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, it's like a soap opera. Do you know what I mean? You go on IFL and you, you, you follow the timeline. It's like, who's having this debate about that? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? There's such a big figure around it. I think that's why I love boxing on that side and it's glamorised so much now and everyone knows big names and they see the TV, but small hall shows, fighters who are working two jobs plus training, plus, you know, it's hard graft. Relying on multiple sponsors. Mate, relying on, it's, it's, it's a hard, hard graft. So I think like maybe that's why my dad didn't want us to pursue it. Also, he says it all the time. I got punched in the head, so you don't have to. And blah, 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 you know those those standard lines you expect. And yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to get into boxing when I was younger, and I feel like now there's so many things. Do you know how often I get asked about? Would you would you ever consider doing like one of these celeb boxing matches? Would you ever consider going on like a you know you got your misfits card? And would you do things like that? And this and that. And I go. Maybe it's because I've got too much pride and because I'm like, oh, my dad was a fire and I really respect it. The thought of getting laid out by some random American YouTuber who does, who does cooking tutorials or something does not appeal to me live on design. Like, it just, part of me wants to because it's like something to tick off the list, but then the other part of me goes, if there's, if there's just a screenshot of meme of me, just knocked it out. Like, no, you live with it. it. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's not for me. It's not for me. Do you know what as well? Because you're about nine foot tall, you're going to be matched with someone who's about <laughs> exactly. nine foot tall as well. Everyone goes, but you're big. Like, you've, got, you've got some power. But like, Whoever on fire will be that as well. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I'll think I have to give it this. Like, I considered doing it like, um, when was it? Probably about four or five years ago. Yeah. Like, 40 now. It's like, I try to explain to people, like, Go, oh, that'd be, I've had conversations with people where they've gone, oh, you know, that'd be so good, that'd be good. But the problem is, the, person, the people talking to me, they can go back into their own world. I've got to actually go back into boxing and be around boxing. So if I do get, which is a probability, because I can't really fight, um, if I get knocked spark out and it is one of the moments you're talking about, that literally, like my daughter's going to have to see that when she's older <laughs> somewhere, do you know what I mean? I'd just rather not risk it at this age, do you know what I mean? Just interviewing yourself on IFL with black eyes. The, o- the only one I'd do it for, I'd do it. I- I'd fight Eddie Hearn. I knew you'd say that. Hundred percent. You'd say it. Hundred percent. I've seen Eddie throw hands with like with like uh, Frank Smith and stuff like. He looks, he looks like he could uh, he could throw a dig. Yeah, I think that's if I had the opportunity to fight Eddie, 
even if there's a risk there of him sparking me out. In some ways, it's worse, but then I could probably live with that more than yeah, the yeah, cooking I, tutorial I, geezer you're talking exactly, about, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, do you remember growing up, and this, this will apply to you more so, um, do you remember the first fight you ever got into or serious kind of argument or any kind of altercation as a, as a child? Now, I know what school you went to as well, yeah, yeah. which kind of probably had a, a lot to do with a reason why this may not, but I had... My first fight was in St John's, people know, in, in Billericay, same school you went to, on the backfield there. Mm. Um, that you was the first fight. Yeah, you have to walk down through the muddy bit. They used to yeah, do like the cross country around there as well. That was the first fight I had with a guy, I'm not going to name him because he might be an IFL fan now, <laughs> but um, he chinned me about three times. But I did turn up. I think I threw one punch. That, count, Coog, you turn up, you turn up. That, the punch I threw, I think, landed in Lake Meadows, right? <laughs> yeah. But that, I had it there. But did this happen for you? Was there a moment? Yeah, yeah. Mate, I had a couple of things like that in St. John's. And I kind of went through like a bit of a, a weaving. So when I was really young in St. John's, I used to be like super passive. I was like, I don't, I don't, I think it's like, I don't, I don't want to fight. I was really scared about stuff. And, in, in St John's, you will know this when, when we was when we were younger. There was about three brown kids in the entire school, so you just stuck out, right? And when kids didn't, when you're that young, and in this day and age it's a bit different, right? But it was just it was a point of difference. So it's got it got acknowledged. And where where my dad's black and my mum's white, there was a couple of black kids in the school. But then I would get it because they'd be like, you ain't black or you ain't white, and they'd say, right? And you're, mate, we're talking about like seven or eight years old. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're like little kids. But like seven or eight year olds, what do you want to be? They could be savage. And the person who used to look after me whenever it happened was my little sister. And I promise you that I'm not joking. She would run in, and I'm talking like she'd be swinging, like full on punches, like fighting people. And I'd be like crying behind her. This used to happen all the time. And as I got a bit older, I think I must have got to about 11 or 12. I threw, so I would have been in year, do you know what? I'd just gone into year seven because my brother was in year 11 at the time. Because I was in year seven, he was in year 11. Get a little bit of confidence behind you, right? And I, I started, I started fighting back. And then this is where the problem came in. Where I was bigger than a lot of people, and this and that, I kind of found myself in a position of, oh, this is relatively easy. And because I was an angry little kid as well, because of like bullying and stuff like that, I went completely the other way. All someone had to do was blink at me the wrong way. They're like, oh, do you want to fight? Do you want to fight? And like now, you look back at stuff when you was a kid, and you're like, embarrassed. You know, you're like, oh, like. You're a bit ashamed. Like you look at, like I was, I was, for want of a better word, a little dick in school. Do you know what I mean? And I think back to it now, and I'm like, oh god. So, like, if I could meet people in school now, I just want to give everyone a hug. And I'm sorry. Yeah, just to give people, just to give people a little bit of context. Obviously, there's an age gap of me and you of around ten years. Yeah. How old's Ashley? Ashley's thirty-four. Right. So, like so yeah, so like six, yeah, so between that, but then when. Our school was kindergarten mm-hmm. up until senior. Yeah. So there was little, basically little kids as young as whatever up to three, 16. So literally three to 16. Yeah, three oh. to 16. Yeah. And everyone, you shared the whole school, which is a very small school. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, whenever you're around, I could see your brother, which I did all the time, as much as I'd see someone in another class of my own age mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit of context with people yeah, thinking, hang on a minute, how did they go to school together exactly. with the yeah, age yeah, yeah. group that big? Um, okay, so 
Tell me about a, a point in your life where you felt like you were fighting a losing battle. Mm. Can you think of something? I can, to be fair. You know what? Well, this, this one's a little bit deep, actually. I don't really talk about stuff. Deep as you want? I felt like I was fighting a losing battle not when I was younger, when I was older. With trying to be like my brother. That was a hard one, right? Because obviously we started in diversity together, like from when we were like really, really young, at our studio, grow, grow, grow. Then you get to six. And do you know what I mean? Like this is one thing to say as well, right? Everyone's problems are relative, right? You've got people who will sit down and talk about, I don't know, be living in a super rough area, growing up really poor, doing all this other stuff. And then relatively to them, there's some person in a third world country who's there lost a dream. I mean, everything's relative, right? So for me, even though it might not sound like a big deal to people, the reason it was tough is because as soon as we start, I think like, when, you, when you've got an older sibling who like exceeds, he's like an overachiever, right? You might see that when you're a little kid, whether they're really good at football or they you know, play piano or they're good at maths or whatever. But as you sort of get older, everyone sort of grows into their own and then everyone's life sort of becomes separate. You're still family, but you, you, might, work in, you might work in Leeds and accounting and he's a scaffold. You don't know that like, people's lives go separate. Me, mine and Ash's lives have been like this from day I was born to now, right? And I'm 30 and he's 34. So it's like, at one point, it used to really bother me constantly being compared. And I'm telling you, like the past year, year and a half, I've sort of kind of started to understand that it's like, it's part of life with the, with the life that we've got and we've chose, right? And there's a lot of benefits that come with you, you know, like, Financially, I'm very fortunate. I've got, I get to work with my family every day. My best friends, who I've, who I've known since I've been three years old, are my workmates. I, no, I have that, which is wicked. But it's sort of like this unsaid sort of thing that, for me, to my brother, it never was even in his head. For me, it was like this unsaid competition. Like, when we were kids, right, he was head boy at school, super smart. He taught all the... He took over and helped my mum's business from when he was, like, 13. Like... In Essex, there used to be like shopping centres, so there was like Lakeside, this and that, all the fashion shows and stuff. My brother was doing the music, lighting, choreographing, helping design staging for when he was like 12 or 30. Then it was just me running right in the background. like. And then even just little things like people saying things like, your brother wouldn't do that, he wouldn't do this, da, da, da. When you When that, that sort of stuff carries on to when you're like 25, 26 and you're trying to make a career yourself and be your own person, constantly being compared used to drive me up the wall. Like... Badly, like I couldn't walk down the street. Someone would pull over next to me and put a window and go, "Ash, can I just say it's so lovely to you?" And I'm like, like twenty four seven, and it was kind of like recognizing that for me that getting angry and being being pissed off about it was getting me nowhere. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Because that is a battle. They're like, that's a losing battle. You're never going to win that. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm not going to not be with my brother. I'm not going to not not speak to him. I'm not going to not do this. Not going to not do that. And my career is my career, as both in media, so like we're always going to be compared in that front. Um, so kind of realising that, accepting that, and moving forward with it helped a lot. But for a long time, that one was the one that stunned me. So talk to me about like the everyday battles of Jordan Banjo. When you get up to when you go to bed, what are the everyday battles for you? So I feel like my battles are relatively to myself, like... When I say small, shall I tell you one thing I, I hate when I watch a podcast or I see, see someone? It's like, it's okay not to sound like you have like some 
heartbreaking struggle every single day. You know, for some people, you, I listen and I'm like, wow, like they, they're going through it. For other people, I listen, I'm like, you're clutching the straws here. Like, just say that it ain't that bad. Do you know what I mean? That's fine. And some days for me are wicked. Do you know what I mean? Some days ain't like everyone. I think the most consistent struggle for me is trying to find that work-life balance, which I think a lot of working parents have. And it's a difficult one because, like I said before, it's funny, like I used to, I was always compared to Ash and this and that. And then work-wise, we always was. And we always are, we always will be, right? But the one thing you can't really compare, you don't really compare on, is, is parenting. Because, like, everyone parents in their own way, everyone's kids different, you're raising little people, everyone's different. And it's the one thing, genuinely, that I felt like I've excelled at in my life. Like, I've done so many incredible things and been so, so lucky, like, with the group between winning BAFTAs, having loads of tours, selling out O2, selling out arenas, doing this, doing that. But the one thing that, like, I've excelled at that I feel like I, I'm like, this is a calling, is being a dad. And it's hard because, like, some days, like, I leave my house most mornings quarter to four. Monday to Friday, I leave quarter to four in the morning. And I don't get back until most nights, 10 after 10 at night. Because if I'm not, if I'll do radio, then I'll leave radio. I've got a performance. If I ain't got a performance, I'm filming something. I'm not filming something. I'm, you know, working. I'm in meetings. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So there's always, there's always something to be done. And it's just trying to strike that balance. Because like, even this morning when I left the house... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Like, my son especially gets super upset when I'm not around. And it's hard when someone's like, oh, like when he's only, he's only four, he's four and a half. And he'll be like, Dad, please don't go, please don't do this, please don't do that. And that's the hard part. There's a lot of parents who go through that, but then not a lot of parents will be like, oh, well, I'm around for this week, but then next week I'm going off on a tour for three months, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that. And it's just trying to find that balance in me and within that balance you've got your relationship you know I got married recently trying to trying to find that balance with my wife and just trying to work together with the family so it's just trying to find that balance like with my wife I'm just married this year the rest of my family and that, that's a weird one as well like because my mum is our manager my little sister is our assistant manager um, my, my dad works closely with the team so it's, it's difficult as well because like you go sit down for a Christmas dinner or something, or you go meet up for a birthday, you're doing whatever everyone wants to meet up as a family, and one minute you're talking, oh, I have the kids, the next minute is, so this contract's come through, and that's the, it's just trying to, it's not just me and my own little family, it's the Bandra family as a whole, it's just trying to find that work-life balance and not be all consumed by it. When was the last time, or talk to me about a time where you felt like you were having to fight back tears in your life? You know, I, I, a lot of people you have in this channel are like, 
tough dudes, right? Tough ladies. They, they've been through it. They, 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 they tough stuff out. I, I fight back tears quite a lot, right? But one of the most recent ones was when I was on tour in the summer, so a few months ago. And my dad, he, um, he got really ill really quick. So we, we luckily was at home. And he got COVID. And then from that, he got pneumonia. And then, and then sepsis. And he got literally within a day, he was at home, fine. And then my mum hears like a bang. And he's dropped. And he's just out. And then trying to get an ambulance. Ambulance can't come. They're like, well, it was, I think it was at a peak. peak loads of people were unwell. And my brother... Um, drove to my mum's house and my dad's like me and my brother he's a big dude he's like 6'5 about 17 stone he's out unconscious on the floor my brother like fighting like, flips him up over his shoulders runs downstairs gets him takes to the hospital and I'm like it's a good job you got him here because he, he got it because my dad's the sort of guy like, I feel like a lot of old like an old older dudes like old school guys it's, they're not going to the doctors until they're in that situation he's like it's fine I'm alright I just feel a bit rough and I seen it, I, my wife had seen that day and Raymond said, like, Dad, don't seem too hot. Like, he seems like he's, he's, he's a bit ill. I was like, okay, I'll give him a call. And I rang him, he was like, yeah, I'm alright, it's not feeling too well. And then I went to bed, and my phone's buzzing off about half two in the morning. And it's my little sister, she's like, you need to get to the hospital now. Like, Dad's not in a good way. And I was like, what do you mean, not in a good way? She's like, he's unconscious, this has happened. I was like, jeez. So driving to the hospital, and like, like I said, my whole life, from young, Teenage years, adult to now my own family. Every day I'm with my family. Like every, I know a lot of people are close, but we're close in every aspect. So the thought of that that terrifies me. The thought of ever losing someone that close terrifies me. So yeah, that was a, that was a tough time. So having come from like a boxing background as such, with your dad, as we have spoken about, and also you know you said your dad didn't want you to box or your brother to box, but kind of, you did karate and, and judo and things like that before, but kind of away from a physical aspect, um, where does your fight spirit come from? Because you have got that mentality, you're mm -hmm. very determined, you're very driven, you and your brother and all your family are with what you've done over the last however many years, but where does that fight spirit come from? Uh, I've, got, I've got to say it to me. But my, my parents, really, because mm. I feel like, I remember when we were really young, and you know, like, to be blunt, you know, my mum my and dad, well, as we started to get a bit older, they sort of landed on their feet with the, the, like the, the fashion agency that set up, and then that led to the fashion shows and all the little bits we did as a business. But before that, when they just had the dance school and before, and my dad had a boxing gym and then had, like, he was selling cars and stuff. I remember there, you know, being in the house and, you know, we, we'd play a game where it was kind of like, when someone knocked at the door, we were hiding. But, and we'd like, to us, it, it's only now when you get older you realise, it's like when babies are knocking at the door, you can't let anyone know who's in. Do you know what I mean? So, seeing my mum and dad, now as an adult, the financial struggle with three kids and what they were kind of going through, and I remember my mum and dad always like, no matter what was going on between them and us. And now, okay, it sounds, it sounds like a scene from a film, it sounds double cringy, but my dad used to, my mum and I both used to, me and my sister and my, my brother would argue, they get a bit of paper and they'd rip it, they see how easy it is to rip, then they get loads of paper and you couldn't rip it. And it was like, when you stay as a family, nothing could do this. And my dad has drilled it into us since we were kids. One day, the only thing you guys will have is each other. Like, me and your mum won't be here forever. So, they drilled into us that 
we'd only have each other and we've got to stick to it with each other and you've got to, we've got to build something. And my dad's always, always had that mentality. And I think it kind of comes from his, from his boxing career. You know, that kind of stopped prematurely. He didn't get out of it what he wanted to get out of it. He didn't go to the heights I felt like he feels like he could have gone to. And I think he looks at us three and it, like growing up, he used to oh, the amount of sayings he would he would he would say to us like, like what? You, know, you have the you have the benefit of my experience as one, and the other one was familiarity breeds contempt. So like you let other people close to you, eventually they'll they'll take them in. Like you've got your family, and those they're the people that you trust. And it's like I think that's where the kind of fighting spirit comes from because especially when I look at my blood, my brother's not my biggest inspiration, right? And I look at him, and he was like. He will not let us or diversity or anything fail. That's why I think, like, 14 years on, diversity is still here and we're still on tour, we're still successful, we're still doing wicked things. And I think that's down to a lot of the grit from my brother and the, that kind of fighting spirit you're talking about that's been like putting us. Do you feel like you're ever having to fight demons in your life, or have you had to fight demons in your life? Yeah, I, su- I suppose. Like, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you kind of, depending on what you. Depending on how you view things, it depends on what you consider to be like demons and this and that. And like I said, like not everybody who sits down on a podcast has, you know, been on the run from the FBI or been in gang warfare or whatever. Like not everyone's had a super tough life. But for me, like I touched upon it, like I feel like until I got till I became an adult, till I had my own kids really, I feel like I was super insecure about a lot of stuff. Like growing up I was always the fat kid. I was always the slowest. I wasn't very good at many sports. So I feel like I always had a chip on my shoulder and something to prove. Um, even being in diversity, it was sort of like, until I got a bit older, I was like, I remember this, <laughs> this YouTube comment will stick with me. I first of all, right, someone commented, I love diversity. Race, height, age, they've even got a plus size dancer. And I was like, flipping out, give me a break, mate. I was like, what's this about? Really? Yeah, and then as guys, right? Especially like when I was like, you know, that teenage up to mid adult years, between you and your mates, it's like it's like almost like a personality trait for you, isn't it? And it's like a bit of banter they're always chucking you and always this. And for some for some dudes, mate, I rate them, they could not care less about how they physically look, right? They're like, mate, this is me, I don't care, da, da, da. eventually you get to know if you like just for my health I want to lose weight, but for me I always cared about it and it was always a big thing for me. And then that tied in directly to what I said about always being compared with my brother because my brother was always really fast, always really smart, always really good at this and I used to always be like, fuck, fuck. So until I got older, that was something that I was always trying to get that chip off my shoulder about. It's mad, isn't it? Sorry, I just, I've never... Have you got that comment somewhere? About you being a plus-size model? Yeah, I think it was on the more Screenshot it. Have you had two, obviously... Growing up in your environment, and like I said, it's semi, it's it's more linked to your life now as kind of the whole diversity theme around it. But obviously mixed in with your dad's um, what your dad did in boxing, etc. But any point in your life you felt like you've had to fight depression? Do you know what? Like there are some some days even now I wake up. And you know that feeling when you swing your legs off the side of the bed and you go, crack on with a day and get up, right? I think everyone has days like that. But there has definitely been points 
where like, on the last tour actually, when I was sat there and I was like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this anymore. Like if I want to, and I was focusing it on random things, right? So at one point it would be our tour. At another point when I was at home it would be like, oh, I'm not a good dad. At another point it would be, oh, I should have done more. At another point it would be, I've been lucky enough and blessed with this life and I don't feel grateful for it. And you just kind of find yourself in this hole. And that was the hard part for me, certain things. Like, I couldn't understand why I wasn't feeling happy or grateful or this or that. And, you know, my, my wife, she won't mind me saying, like, she suffers with, like, like depression quite bad. Um, you know, she's got ADHD and a few other things, like her personal business and stuff. But, you know, she, she suffers with a lot of stuff. And being with her has kind of really helped me understand certain things and sort of approach things in a way that trying to, like, dissect things and tackle little problems here and there and this and that. So I think everyone, a lot of people... I feel like it gets mislabeled a lot. Like a lot of people might have a bad day and call it depression. Um, and then some people genuinely have that condition. That's tough. Yeah, so I do feel like some people, it mislabels a lot. How many people do you see like a tweet or this or that or a mate who's got man, depressed? And it's like, for them it might be like a turning phrase or whatever. So I don't want to sit here and be like, I've been clinically diagnosed with depression, but there's definitely been periods in my life for like, I could go a month when I just cannot get this, like, get out of this hole. And then I'll be absolutely fine for another month. And then there's something random that will happen. And it will, ha it will happen again. It will start again. So I feel like I've definitely fought some dark times, like, mentally for me. Um, and I think, like, as a, as a dad, as an adult, as, you know, a man or woman in, the, in this situation, it's just life in it. All you can try and do is just try and get through it. It's just try. I've never been like... I watch some people with perfect examples. Like I watched this podcast with Tyson, right? And I was like, geez, there's some points where I'm like, that dude was like in the ground. And I think that's, that's the weird thing. Like you see someone like, who, ha who has literally from the outside people's perfect work, like their dream. Even for me, people see like, you know, I'm really fortunate to have like a nice house and nice cars and I'm with my family every day and this and that. It's like, you have no reason to feel the way you do. And when you have that conversation with someone, I know they're trying to go, look at all this amazing stuff. I know they're trying to make you feel better. It makes you feel worse because you're like, dude, I live it. I know that I'm really fortunate, but like, I don't know why I still feel this way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that you're, you've hit the nail on the head there with that. And I think, like I said, I'm not saying like any of us are an expert, but I think people kind of get it uh, misconstrued about if you've got everything, you're healthy, you've got a beautiful family, you've got healthy kids, You've got your financially secure, etc. Now, if you have everything in life, and they're not all materialistic things because you're not going to refer to your family as materialistic, but you could have everything under the sun, so to speak. But if something still makes you feel a certain way, then I believe that to be depression. Is is basically what you're saying? Yeah, no, I get, and, the, and I think the thing that made it feel worse, I would, I'd have friends from like school or people that I knew growing up, and I look, and I'd be like, you know. They work, they, they work on a site, you know, decent job, but they're not pulling in crazy money. They're pulling in enough money to get by. There's definitely times when they, they don't know when the next meal's coming from. They have bad times, they have stressful times, but they are genuinely happy. Like, as an overall thing, they're like, no, no, I've had a, I've had a shit couple of weeks, but it's cool, man, like, we're going to get through this, I've got this, I've got that. And I'd look at that one point, I'd look and go, why do I then feel some days the way I do? Like, why is this... 
it, it, just, it was just never, it could never settle right with me. And it always used to make me feel worse trying to figure that out. And I think in the end, you kind of just have to accept that and just kind of understand that if that's, if there's some of the battles you face and there's some of the things you have to deal with, then they're kind of the things you have to deal with. Beating yourself up about there's people in worse situations. I shouldn't feel like this. If you feel like it, you feel like it. It is what it is. Do you know what I mean? You have to just kind of try and battle through and get the help you need. It's so true. I mean, to a certain degree, I, I agree when people say, like, there are people out there that are in what, what would be deemed as a worse situation. But really, that's not really applicable to you. Because, mm. you, like you just said there, you feel how you feel, or someone feels how they feel because of their life and what, whatever mental struggles they've got. So to say, well, look at him over there, or look at them, you know. And I, I know it gets used a lot because when people, I don't know, are not well, or they've they've got something that can't be cured or those kind of situations. I understand that. Look at the situation they're in, but why are we comparing them situations? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's, the, that's the weird part. I mean, I think that's the, that's the kind of da- the dangerous side to it. You know when people go, men don't talk about stuff because it's a sign of weakness, and they think that, like... Let's go. Men don't talk about stuff because it's a sign of weakness. And I think that when people say that they think that it means they can't run bench 150 kilo, no, 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 it's not that sign, sign of weakness. It's that comparative there of people saying, yeah, but you should be all right, mate, you're doing all right. You got a bonus last month, like, you, you weren't well. It's like, you're not understanding, like, I, I'm aware of that. But if the fact I still feel like this is for me, is what gives me, you know, if I thought, oh, I've earned a bit more money, that, that'll cure it. To be fair, mate, I went down that path of going, oh, we're finding a bit more dough. And I threw myself even harder into working on more money and did this and did that. Didn't help nothing. Do you know what I mean? If anything, it's put a bit more pressure on. Because then I was like, next year I feel like I've got to do the same. I've got, I've got to go on a bit more again. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like it's just a cycle you have to just try and work for. And I think we're all trying to figure stuff out. When people sit there and talk about, like, they talk about it like they've cracked it. No, you haven't. You might have cracked it for you. You ain't cracked it for me. You ain't cracked it for Coogan. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's got their own situation. I was in the one I did with Eddie Earn. I don't know if you watched that. But he was talking about, because I asked him about depression, because it's not something that me and him would ever talk about um, normally in our day-to-day interviews. And he said, look, I'm not going to sit here and go, have I had bad days? Yes, of course I have. Have I had days where I don't want to wake up in the morning? Absolutely. Have I thought about killing myself? No, I haven't. Have I had suicidal thoughts? No, I haven't. So I'm not going to sit here. And he said, I don't think it's fair for me to even sit here and moan about my life in that respect. And I kind of get that because it's pretty much a little bit of what you were saying earlier where people get into a rut in their life and kind of maybe maybe think they're going through depression or maybe think they've mm-hmm. uh, got issues regarding mental health when really, if it can be fixed as easy as... I'm not saying it's easy, but as more money in the bank, then that can be fixable if that's yeah. the issue. Yeah, yeah. and I, I agree. And I, I, that's... I do find that interesting, even someone like Eddie. But then like, I, I look at it and I go, there must be stress beyond stress. Do you know what I mean? He's running this, match room, the zone this, doing that, country this, doing all that stuff. I get where the stress comes from. And some days you must wake up and go, mate, today ain't, it's not a day I want to tackle. I'd rather sit at home, order a five guys and stick on Netflix. I get that. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people would have days like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do think you're on a slippery slope, especially, you know, I get asked questions like this quite a lot because it's quite a hot topic at the moment, you know, mental health, men's mental health in particular. And I always try and be really careful with how I answer because, like, I never would want to take away from someone who is 
genuinely unwell because depression is an illness like if you're genuinely unwell I never want to sit here and go totally you know it's, it's a scary one it's a slippery slope and when you've got a bit of a platform I mean I'm not exactly Justin Bieber but you've got a bit of a platform you don't want to give misinformation or be misconstrued or say things in the wrong way but the only way I can say is that I definitely have lows I definitely have highs like everyone in life it just seems sometimes my lows feel like they come for no reason and they can last a month and I could be happy for a month or I could be sad for two months and be happy for three. Like, I just, it's just always up and down, do you know what I mean? You're in a position in your life now where you, you as a person, you fight for your kids now and your, your wife and your family, your diversity family, etc. Who fights for you? Who's got your corner? Who's got your back? Whether it's six in the morning or six at night, who's always there for you to rely on? Again, my brother, Ash, you know, he, um, I feel like we're, we're back, like, I think back to it, and even though in my head, there's always, like, I've always, like, for a long time, I tried to compete, or tried to, try to do that. It's funny, because even though, like, I, sometimes, like, oh, it makes me feel bad that I, I can't do what he does in certain aspects, he's also the person I rely on the most. Like, if I think back to school, for example, and go, oh, think about homework, I don't think mum, dad or teacher, I think I'd go and ask Ash. I'd sit down with Ash and ask him to help me with certain things. Yeah, so I think like, I think about my brother, like even if it's from homework stuff, I'd always go to my brother. Now, if there's something wrong, like big, and I'm like, because it's funny as well, like again, we go into this stuff like as a man or as a guy or as a husband, as a dad, I know my wife has always got my back, but I feel like I'm the one who needs to be looking after her and have her back. And of course we're in it together and I know she'll always help me, but there's certain things I'm like, I don't want to burden you with. And I'll go, I'll go to someone else. The person I'll always go to is my brother. Because I know he'll, no matter how bad, how trivial, it could be the worst thing ever, he'll be like, we'll get through it, we'll do it. I know he's always got my back. So yeah, definitely, definitely my brother. Okay, um, last one here. You can answer this, uh, how you interpret it basically, but... What drives that fight within you? What is that thing that pushes you and drives that fight within you? Legacy. I would say that for me, I feel like everybody wants to leave a mark behind, no matter, my one just happens to be a bit more in a public eye because of diversity and stuff, right? But whether you're the, I don't know, the best carpenter in, in your firm where you work or whatever, like, if you know that you can, like, when you leave that firm, people are like, mate, we this geezer Ray who used to work here, right? He would smash out these wardrobes like you ain't better, and the quality was there. If you can leave that mark, you want to leave a mark. Do you know what I mean? And I think, like I always said, like, between my brother, my dad, my mum as well has always been like this. Like, if you're going to do something, do it properly. I think a lot of us, and there's sort of a point of pride, which isn't always the best thing, but when we first won Britain's Got Talent, I think the idea, and a lot of people think was, and I used to say it as a very cynical 16-year-old, was make hay while the sun shines. By the time I'm 18, I'll be back in college. Let's try and make as much money as we can and leave that. And that's what it was to me when we first started. And then when I started to see what we could do, and, you know, like for a lot of boxers, they've changed people's lives. Like, you'll sit down, and there'll be some people you interview on the channel now go, mate, I will take a Cody for example, I saw AJ at the Olympics. A Cody's now a very well off world champion who has changed his and his family's lives because he saw AJ. And like, AJ must hear countless stories like that, right? 
and sometimes you, you can become numb to it. But the fact you had made that impression on someone, to me, I'm like, bro, that is crazy. Like, you made someone completely change the course of their life. And I know dance is a bit trickier and it ain't as glamorous as boxing and this and that, but the fact that there's a lot of dancers out there now who do certain things or a lot of kids who want to, they look at something and say, oh, can I this, can I do that? If you would have said to me 15 years ago, there's going to be a group of boys from Essex who like to try and do backflips in car parks or on concrete and hurt themselves, but eventually they're going to be winning, winning BAFTAs, hosting TV shows, making a mark, being able to buy this incredible building and you know, provide something where people can come and train and learn and do all this kind of stuff. If someone would have said that to me, I'd have gone, nah, nah, nah. And then as well on top of that, the bonus of being able to financially secure yourself, you would have been like, and when I say financially secure, I don't mean that like I'm set up for the rest of my life, but we, we're all really fortunate to have really good lives. You know? If you would have said that to me, like, there's no way. So for me, when people say, you know, like, oh, I want to do this when I grow up, and people go, yeah, yeah, and everyone goes, follow your dreams, this and that. Not in a big-headed way. Everybody says that to their kids, right? To be able to be living proof, to be able to look at my own kids and go, look, I don't just say live your dreams, so I want you to be the happiest you can. Do it because you genuinely can. Like, look at me, look at your uncle, look at your aunt, look at your grandparents. Like, we've built this from the ground up because we genuinely worked hard. I'm not saying it's going to work out for everyone, because it doesn't, no matter how hard you work. You do need some luck in there as well, but you can do it. The fact I can sit there and say that, that's what makes me, that's what drives me and to want to help help build and also repay my brother back because he sacrificed a lot of his, his own life, family time, his own mental health to build this. I feel like me, the rest of diversity, our family owes a debt to him, definitely. Okay, well, I'll do the disclaimer now as well. Listen, I appreciate your time uh, coming on to this. I know you are very busy. Um, beautiful place you've got here, if Thanks, people can... See, we are in a church, but this is the diversity studios. The diversity yeah. studios, which are unbelievable. Um, but yeah, if you notice some cuts in the video, I'll say this: it's because I'm, uh, I have a chest infection, yeah. as I always do at some point of the year, if not two or three times. That's why we've had to work around this. All right, all right, viewers, don't come for me. All right. Yeah. Please, don't, please don't get mean in the comments. It wasn't me why you got cut, it was cool. That's why we've had to make a few snips. There was a few snips, probably more <laughs> than one. But um, Jordan Banjo, thank you very much for coming on to Raw the Fight Within. And uh, good luck this year. I'd like to come back to one of your, um, one of your shows. I went please to the one last year up in London at the Palladium, yeah. which was brilliant. Um, yeah, I just... Do you know what? I was just sitting there thinking when I was young and used to go and wait for the Nibs bus, yeah. right, used to pick us up. Then it'd go, I don't know if this was the same route, picked us up from St John's, then went to Mayflower to pick up yeah, Mayflower yeah, kids, yeah, right? Yeah. But I remember your dad used to walk and obviously pick up Ashley then. And uh, your dad, obviously, when I'm little, or say little, still tall but not, and your dad just looked like, like a huge, it's huge man. Yeah. But when I saw and spoke to your dad at the thing, it was like, you, mate, obviously, I'm now 6'5", so I'm looking yeah, at, yeah. do you know what I mean, another grown man in a, in a different way, but... Um, yeah, you, I was pleased to know that your dad actually watches watches the channel and watches bits on the channel. Um, uh, when you boys whack out an interview, he, the first I'm the first person he rings. But I never, never knew that. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't know he had an injury going into that. Film. Oh no, that is mental. It's mental. <laughs> he was buzzing when he heard I was coming. And we got him on the camera as well. You yeah, did. No, mate, that oh. would never not be funny. He, the thought of him going on camera. You know, you're the first person in the 14 years we've been doing diversity. Nobody has ever got him on camera. Really? Ever. He, like, he flat out, he literally, if he knows there's a camera in here, like if we're filming normally in the studio or anything, 
he'll leave. He'll be like, there's no way, because he, he won't risk it. You're the first one who called him. I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Jordan, thank you very much. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next Monday. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. And, um, yeah, we're out. Sports Social Podcast Network.